0: On this episode of AV Week, where is the innovation in the audiovisual industry? Holographic speakers and where they fit in AV and enhancing hybrid classrooms. All that and more next on AV Week.
1: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: This is A.V. Week, episode 575, recorded Friday, August 26th, 2022. Creative Collaboration.
2: Support for A.V. Nation is brought to you by Crestron.
0: This is A.V. Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albury. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, Charmaine Torella. I cannot roll my R's. Uh, She is with QSC. Welcome, ma'am.
2: Thank you, Tim.
0: Uh, thank you. Also with us uh, from USC, uh, Fight On, Lex Evans. Welcome, madam Thank you. Uh, and also, actually, the last time I saw Lex, I saw this young man, uh, Kaleo Lee, uh, now with Corbett. Welcome, sir. Thank you, sir. So a uh, couple different things. Um, first and foremost, uh, we're doing some some prep for Cedia, uh, heading to Cedia, uh, end of, of September. But just because I guess I get I got bored or whatever, I'm also heading to Modern Work Summit. So if you are heading that way or looking into that way, uh, actually I'm I'm hanging out with a coworker of Lexis, uh, Joe Way, during one of the the uh, uh, panels. So uh, check that out. Uh, i'll have mitch uh, throw a link to the modern Works summit uh, website so you can it's uh, a bunch of really great manufacturers a bunch of really smart people hanging out in orlando in september uh first story comes to us from our friends over at av magazine a young man asked the massive question will holograph- holographic guest speakers be the future of live events uh, Jake Ward from Groovy Gecko asked the question, and he highlights a number of different technologies, and And, and honestly, uh, some of the benefits is you can have se- uh, a, a single speaker, a, a high-profile person. Uh, Gary V comes to mind. Uh, you can have them do several different keynotes from the comfort of their own studio at, without having to get in a plane. Uh, that is certainly one of the... The benefits and as we're talking about global um the climate change and carbon emissions that is another uh benefit here so charmaine we'll start with you on this uh, is this something that we're going to be seeing more and more or is this one of those things where it, it's a technology that's kind of cool and it might be kind of a one-off thing uh here and there
2: oh i would argue that it's already been here for a couple of years yeah uh, i mean it really has so it's just, it's been here, is AV here for it, is the question, right? Because it's being done, uh, I could tell you the numerous amount of clients that Fortune 500s, they do this already. They don't have uh, the ability to fly their sea levels around the world to meet in person with groups of people around the world. Pharmaceuticals, for example, two of the big ones that made, let's say, vaccinations in the last couple of years, they have to use this and they do use this type of uh product already um they use it to you know meet a large audience across the world their supply chain partners government officials you name it so the question is it's here it's been here for like a couple of years now av however The problem that these types of service providers for hologram uh, solutions and events have is they need more vendors that can actually implement and get this set up. That's the problem they're running into because there's a limitation as to how many people can set this type of event up for these Fortune 500 companies. I'll give you an example. There's a big financial company that buys almost half a million dollars a year worth of these events, a year. That's to start, and they intend to ramp it up to one million, two million a year. There's a lot of uh, market share to be had in our world, if our world is here for it, the AV integrators in particular, and they actually train people up and get familiar with these types of solutions.
0: All right, Kaleo, same kind of of question. Um, Are you looking at this as an opportunity to bounce around the globe virtually, or is this something that you know, uh, as Charmaine says, AV integrators have an opportunity here to become experts at this and putting these systems in?
3: Yeah, it's so I think if you're doing live production, absolutely, this is something that you need to have in your toolkit. Um, it just provides flexibility. I don't know about the whole saving flight, but as far as the flexibility wise, being able to get to Charmaine's point, a C sweeter who's got a crazy um, schedule, it's going to be a lot nicer to be able to get them in holographically, rather than like, oh, they couldn't make it kind of a thing, you know, puts a lot more flexibility on, you know, those keynote speakers and stuff like that. I will say I do like in person still, but you know, having them in a holograph is still going to be a better than, you know, a, a zoom screen on a projector kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. Um, Lex, let's, let's talk about this from a, a design and some creative uh, aspect. One of the things that these folks are doing, and the technology behind them is quite frankly, green screen right it's it's a it's the ability to key out the background and then send these people you know wherever uh on uh an interesting or a unique uh projection screen what are some of the the unique things that we could do with folks in in, in keying out the background and then kind of sending them through the air i guess or through, or through the internet um because the background is is, is gone and i say that as someone who spends every Friday in front of a green screen. And I just trust that Mitchell is putting in the correct background.
1: And you know, what's funny is I, you can't see it, but I painted the wall behind me green. Um, I did not think about the green screen aspect when I go on Zoom and calls. So don't paint your wall green if you're going to be on a video call all the time. But um, back to the question. you know what? At the at the base of every design design decision is accessibility. So my question here would be: um, Hopefully, this would be able to. The idea behind this is that more people who aren't able to fly or be there are able to access new audiences, and new audiences are able to access people they wouldn't normally be able to access in such a cool way. Um, but my question is: How are we going to make that? accessible to anyone, uh, people who can't maybe necessarily afford this type of technology. Are we going to have a space or a place where it does become affordable so that people can have, you know, um, those experiences if they aren't pr- paying a premium price. So, um, Charmaine was describing how like, um, some tech company was doing millions and millions of dollars, right? Okay. Are we going to keep it up at like the Apple and, you know, Google or like, is this going to be available to everyone, and how are we going to be, how are we going to make this accessible to everyone? Um, my immediate thoughts are like, you know, how you can rent spaces for like an office. Could we rent out ability uh, a place where somebody could go there, and then they would have all the appropriate equipment to be able to have you know that green screen and proper lighting and everything for this to work out really well, or is it going to be like? an at-home production, which might not not necessarily show out show as well. Do you know what I mean?
2: I, I'm imagining... Yeah, like, like, what it sounds like you're saying is make hoteling the solution in a way, right? Okay. Right. Okay. I, I, understand, I see where you're going. That
1: was, like, my immediate thing of, like, okay, how are we going to actually make this happen, design or not, it needs to be accessible to everyone. So it, you can have all the money in the world and make it as cool as you want, but if it's not accessible to only... If it's only accessible to a certain amount of people who are willing to pay a premium price, I don't love it as much. Cause it's like, okay, what's something else wealthy people can get the rest of us can't?
0: That's a whole different conversation that that is not for this.
2: But I see what Lex is saying, Tim. The hoteling aspect. I mean, if I were like a, a we work <clears throat> I would, I'm just throwing it out there. I would say WeWork is all over. They have office space, whatever. If they could build certain of these types of things and people on different sides of the globe go into respective WeWork spaces and less of a premium because it's there, that's a way to make it affordable. So I see exactly where you're going, Lex, and I think that you, you, you hit on something. I, that's cool. Absolutely. Um, and you know what
3: else would be really cool is I, I hear like some universities are building out studios, like a TikTok studio or a YouTube studio, things along those lines. And why couldn't you have a holographic studio where somebody could rent out that same space? Now it makes it affordable for just about anybody to use. I mean, I'm not in charge of the university, I'm just throwing out there's an idea.
0: <laughs> just in case anybody listening is, you know, ha- has a university, you know, that's what they do. They're in-house integrator you know, somewhere in Iowa.
2: And this be is being recorded, idea. so make sure that they know that all three of us have a it is? trademark.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I will say the only thing I'm not a fan of is you have to
0: wear pants again. Like, I, <laughs> I
2: was All right, Kaleo.
0: All right, next story from <laughs> Commercial Integrator. <clears throat> that is Kalaya Lay from Corbett. Um, yeah, from, from Commercial Integrator Dr. Reggie Smith the third writing about how collaboration and education are not exactly strangers. Uh, Dr. Smith writes in here, uh, in 1990s, I remember working for the Black College uh, Satellite Network, which was founded in 1981. It no longer is in existence, however, its legacy lives on um, in historically black colleges and universities. This is because BCSN was at the forefront of developing and deploying telecommunications infrastructure that aimed to fuel the development and support of HBCU uh, distance education programs. Dr. Smith is not wrong here, guys. You know, it, it, we have had distance learning. We have had hybrid learning. I don't care what you call it. And, and, and some of those, not just the HBCUs, but uh, rural um, uh, education facilities or, you um, universities and colleges that served those rural communities have been doing distance education for quite a, a number of quite frankly, decades. Um, but it, it's, you know, w- we've gotten to the point now where not only is the technology uh, more affordable, quite frankly, it's also more portable uh, and we can do more things with it. Kalei, I'll start with you on this. When you look at, you know, where education is and, and how we can upgrade and, and leverage the, the limited resources that, that, education institutions have, how are they going to be able to best use these hybrid distance learning uh, systems?
3: Uh, I mean, to your point earlier, you know, like most people are doing it and it's, you know, it's like you mentioned, it's, it's affordable and it, there's no reason why you're not doing it now. I mean, we're doing distance meetings right now, distance, you know, um, podcasts, whatever um, right now. I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do it. Although I will say during the pandemic, I remember we we're doing an AV happy hour and there was a university kind of almost almost in tears as far as like they weren't prepared for it you know which also blew my mind because you know coming from hawaii i used to be an integrator out there and with distance learning in every classroom and all that fun stuff before and it was surprising to see a prominent university just like we weren't prepared for this um but as far as you know cost and everything there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing this you know and it kind of leads into the other conversation as far as the tools and everything You know, there's, it mentioned in the next article, and I hate to jump the gun, but, you know, there's ways like that e glass thing to be able to, you know, write and get your message across and interface. And, you know, I mean, I can use my iPad right now if I wanted to and connect that and use that as a interface as well. So, I mean, there's no reason why anybody shouldn't be doing it. Um, There's a lot of cool technologies to make it, like we mentioned, with the hybrid side of the house to integrate distance learning broadcasts, you know, across the entire campus or, you know, um, from afar or whatever it might be. So, I mean, there's there's almost no excuse at this point, but it kind of comes down to the know-how, if anything,
0: and preparation. So. All right. Lex, you are the uh, one of the four of us who does work for a university. So when you're looking at it and you're looking at some of the classrooms that the folks in the team at USC uh, support, how do you? I mean, you, you guys did a, an open house uh, back in July, and it was an incredible experience. You went over, uh, you and your team went over, some of the decisions that you made and why you made this decision versus that. But how are you, how are education facilities able to kind of upgrade and, and update the hybrid distance learning?
1: Yeah, so I think as far as our classroom technology goes, we're kind of on that same, like, we created a system that works really well for hybrid teaching, and so we have the same system. So in the classrooms, it's the same. Uh, but looking forward this year, so that's our standard. All rooms should be hybrid capable. So that's our standard, but we were thinking about how we could raise the bar, especially as um, the students are coming back on campus in person, Um, what are some ways that we can provide technology um, for them in order for them to go kind of above and beyond in that hybrid experience? So that kind of even lends itself outside of the classroom um, so that students can express themselves or use these, um, or use technology for their education outside of classrooms. So we um, cre- We are in the middle of creating a, um, we call it the creative lab right now, I believe. Yeah, very creative name. <laughs> but um, right now we're creating this lab um, as a collaborative space that kind of allows the students, the digital creative freedom to express themselves and explore things like, Podcasts, NFT, art, gaming, video production, the type of technology that in these days um, everyone has the bare minimum. Everyone has an iPhone, but not everyone has access to really cool production capabilities. So how are we going to take this above and beyond in order for students to be able to have stuff they wouldn't normally have access to in their houses or their dorm rooms and um, be able to give them a space to just you know, create as much as possible with cool technology. Um, So, and so far, I mean, I can't say too much about the Creative Lab because it's still under wraps, but so far it's looking really exciting and I'm really excited for the accessibility that we're gonna give. And it's gonna be to students, staff, faculty, anyone on the university campus who wants to use it. So I love that everyone's getting access to it, but I can't help but wonder how that's gonna move forward into the classrooms um because at some point people are going to start that's going to start being the norm that high level of production so I'm curious like how is that going to translate into the classroom because right now it's the bare minimum we're at the bar we're we're on zoom we're doing hybrid but how are we going to make that learning experience even better like um one of them what Cleo or Charmaine mentioned um those eboards and different things like that what you know what Tools tools and technology are we going to bring into the classroom to make that experience better? Because honestly, that is the bare minimum. Hybrid is the bare minimum. If you're not there, you need to figure it out because that's long gone, like that needs to be happening. But how are we going to step up the the game in the classrooms? So yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but.
0: No, it did. It did. And I, I think you're right. I think hybrid being the bare minimum cuts across uh, a whole lot of different places, including corporate uh charmaine same question here it is you know where when you're talking with you know um colleges universities you know what are they telling you as far as how they're able to upg- update or upgrade um the the classroom experience for students and, and for professors
2: well they during the time of COVID, a lot of the universities had to figure it out so basically they had to workshop it and they had to do it fast Because for, you know, in a big sense, a lot of them rely on that, you know, tuition, revenue to keep them going, things of that nature. So they didn't have time to waste. So during that time, a lot of them were operating like mad scientists and creating their own labs. They were trying every different methodology you could think of to get it up and running. And a lot happened to become successful. And they created this hybrid solution. They've been testing it throughout the summers. Um, when things are a little bit out of lull and then now they're going to ramp up again now that school is in session um, and they're going to implement it so it's not anything concrete but a lot of them have a good framework from that time during COVID, where they were mad scientists in a laboratory figuring it out that they're going to build upon depending on the different experiences from 2021 into this school year so a lot of them aren't that concerned. It's only, I think, when it comes to, I have the largest you know public school system. I live in New York City in the country. When it comes to the public school system, that's where the issue lies because of funding and getting access to that funding, distance learning and also getting it applied in the right way and getting the right people. That's where the difficulty lies through the K to 12 and the public school systems with distance learning. They don't necessarily have the budget. Their municipalities haven't quite figured it out because, because they're public, right? They have to go through all the bureaucracy and the politics of it all. And I think this is where it's an opportunity also to get the government side of our education system on board as we know government is usually slow to upgrade things and that's probably and that's why k-12 has this problem with not really having the right distance learning applications that they need so that's what i'm hearing it more from that sector of higher of education the k-12 the public sector because of that
3: you know getting creative um there's ways around cost you know um lex brought up you know having production studios and things of that nature you know, if you have several inexpensive web cameras, you know, the, the innovation these days, I think, is in the software side. So the pandemic really opened up a lot of um, software, like production tools. You're able to, you know, get creative, get a student employee kind of a thing. You know, you're not paying them a ton or right? it gives them real world experience, um, you know, whatever uh, you pay a student employee. Um but you're able to get them to do real world experience you're doing it via software you know i know some companies have you know even on the mic levels and everything you can control that stuff so now you're getting into that production level you know audio video experience where they can do it from the comfort of their own homes so you're still doing distance learning distance production all that fun stuff controlling the different camera angles and then use that as a tool to work with that teacher what did they like what did they not like you know and now they're able to cut to what the teacher is writing on the whiteboard and it doesn't have to be like the E board kind of a thing. It can be a whiteboard. Maybe they do have a smartboard thing. You can cut to that as a feed in itself. You know, so now you have students being able to do it not on campus, but you know, in the comfort of their own home. You provide them a little laptop and all that fun stuff, and then take it a step further. You know, they have uh, something we're doing on the enterprise side is you know um, digital signage for the desktop. So you know, one of that was actually a conversation we had with USC originally for you know a digital signage standpoint. But now you can do this production level. You know say it's a message across campus to everybody you know push that to you know from a signage side but on a desktop you know to everybody you know make a, a campus-wide announcement kind of a thing so there's a lot of great ways yeah. to do it innovatively and i think that software kind of closes that gap from having to pump out a ton of you know equipment and costs so
0: mm-hmm. uh final story comes to a, a comes from an old friend of of baby nation uh scott tyner writes on rave where is the innovation in AV. Uh, From Scott's article, definition of innovation according to Oxford language is of a product idea, etc, featuring new methods, advanced and original. Take a moment and think about that definition and how it applies to the AV industry. Scott did reference eGlass Kaleo. Uh, I reached out to Scott to say, hey, dude, uh, I'm doing your article. Is there something you want to, you want to add to this? He goes, uh, quote unquote, first, Maybe I'm wrong. Somebody prove me wrong. Am I missing something? But second, my point in the article was not about what we tech people find innovative or easier or more convenient, but rather what technology over the past few years has been innovative in a way that changes the user experience drastically. Lex, we're going to start with you on this one. Madam, where is the innovation in AV?
1: know I might agree with him I know he wants me to say he's wrong or prove him wrong but I it's just like it's it is impressive but then also at the same time it's not impressive from like a student point of view going into a classroom and having hybrid it's like wow congrats like I mean from the tech side it seems really cool but I think as a student I, I don't know the the complaints we've had so far this year T, you're welcome, um, is that students are struggling without subtitles because that was a regular part of a hybrid classroom experience. And now that we're not leaning so hard on the hi- hybrid experience, the accessibility of having um, having the words on the screen is is, it just isn't there. And it was super helpful for, you know, maybe teachers or even students whose English isn't their first language. Um, and they were even able to copy the, um, subtitles and then maybe translate them in order for them to maybe understand it better. So that was something that I was, I've been thinking about recently of just like, okay, this seems like it wouldn't be that innovative and cool, but also that should be something that's in classrooms, like a regular reliable subtitle system that allows it to be accessible for everyone, um... So those are things I think people think too big. Sometimes when they wanna be innovative, I I have a boss who just goes so hard on big ideas that sometimes the details get lost in it. So I think really we need to focus on making sure um, what we have right now is really, really good. So even though we have the hybrid experience right now, what can take it from good to excellent um, and thinking about it from the student's point of view, um, walk in their shoes. What what is expected? What are they experiencing outside the classroom? Because Netflix, any sh- any show ever has subtitles now, and that is a regular part of being able to be on your phone and also kind of read what's happening, or or have your volume down and be able to be in you know taking care of other people in the household and have subtitles and still be able to follow along. So there's, this generation is used to it. So we need to be able to provide for them also things that they use regularly, if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, yeah, my big thing right now is, is subtitles. I'd be interested to see how that is solved in a regular day-to-day classroom experience.
0: Charmaine, uh, whereas, uh, where is the innovation in the AV industry?
2: Two words, digital inclusivity. Now, that term is a term that a lot of enterprise and corporate clients use, and that's where they're going. Um, Meaning, the trend is to make sure that, as Lex would say a lot, everything is accessible to everyone within their environment. Um, Everyone has access to that collaboration tool and it comes in different forms when i say digital inclusivity it's almost like saying telepresence remember that word um, what does that mean <laughs> well that could mean a number of things the same with digital inclusivity digital inclusivity with some clients means oh we're not we're going to have wallless conference rooms that's enough, that's one of the ways they're doing it meaning I'm going to throw a meeting space in this corner, this corner, so not just executives and managers have access to collaboration tools in my environment. Someone can jump in the corner and do a quick video with another person from the office and have access without booking a room. They're more included, there's more access, digital inclusivity. Um, Other ways is, uh, and Kaleo's going to go into this, so softball Kaleo. Uh, Software. (laughs) So a lot of software applications being wrapped around certain services like the hologram article that we talked about to make it more inclusive of people like you couldn't get access to on a normal basis because they have to fly in and travel. And frankly, with the travel and the airlines being what it is today, making it difficult, harder and more expensive. Yeah, um, people want these tools to be more digitally inclusive and available all around. So that's where the market is going. There's a few ways, quite a few ways to get there, but that's where the creation, I think, is going to come from. The innovation in our industry, if we set our mind to how can we help people be more digitally inclusive.
0: All right. Kaleo, you'll have the last word on this one. Yeah,
3: um, thanks for the softball pitch. Absolutely. Software, I think, is where that innovation is happening. I mean, we've seen it with, you know, um, the Zoom side, right? And I'm glad you brought up telepresence because that's where the Zoom versus telepresence kind of came into play. And that flexibility you get from software, yeah, you're paying a recurring license and all that fun stuff, but you're getting constant updates, right? The flexibility you get from it, um, the settings and protocols. I remember telepresence, we used to set these up, you know, for studios and wherever. But it takes a while. You want a new background capability that used to be a firmware update. Now, it's just, you know, on my computer. Boom, click, it's updated. I have, you know, the ability to share my PowerPoints or whatever it is. And it goes back to software. I think that's the biggest piece as far as flexibility and where a lot of
0: that um, innovation is coming from these days. All right. Thank you all so much uh, for joining us and for joining us. Thank you for listening. Uh, Charmaine Torella from from QSC. How do people connect with you, ma'am?
2: You can connect with me by going to my email, which is charmaine.torella at qsc.com. I'm also on LinkedIn if you spell my name out and spell it correctly, and Twitter as well.
0: Lex Evans, how do people connect with you?
2: Um, howdy, it's Lex on Twitter
1: or LinkedIn under Lex Evans.
0: And is, is, is new is,
1: last name, so don't get it wrong.
0: Yeah, Evans, as in like Chris Evans. No, she didn't marry, you know, uh, Chris Evans. But Kaleo Lee, the people connect with you or Corbett.
3: Yeah, for me personally, it's uh, Twitter at Kaleo Eini. E. E. Um, and then even uh, a friend of the show, Bradford Ben, you can put me on blast. I prefer a
0: DM, but go ahead. Uh, I will respond honestly and truthfully. So. <laughs> He uh, yeah, Bradford uh, yeah, that's that's a favorite pastime of, of Mr. Ben's. So, uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters because at this point, yes, as my son says, technically the Bears are undefeated, but it's preseason, kids, so don't get too excited. Uh, go by the website, if you would please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Also, check out our sponsors, Help those that help us make AV Nation possible. Uh, if you are a tech manager, IT manager, uh, a user of AV in any way, shape, or form, on the homepage, you will find a bright blue button at the top. It says Fuse. That is our... Uh, AV user group uh, on AV Nation. Click on that, register, and let us know what you think. Um, this is a brand new platform, kind of a sandbox right now, but you kind of get to make it happen and, and tell us what you want need and desire out of it. So, check all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>